Welcome to the Difference Maker Podcast, the show that highlights chartered accountants who are making a difference either in their industry, company, or for social good. A podcast created by CAW Network USA. Now, I want to bring you back a little bit. How did you make the decision to work for a nonprofit? So I've done, I have done quite a few roles in my life and they've all sort of taken different aspects of the Chartered Accountancy Qualification. So I, when I came to New York with the Eden NF Man job, that was one part of it. But they eventually took me back to Europe where I headed up internal audit for Eden F Man, which was in many ways one of my favorite jobs. I was uh, basically allowed to go all over the world wherever they were, worked and um stayed there for up to a month and that way I you know I got to see about 60 countries and I got to not just see the cities but also go to the farms I'm a farmer's daughter myself from from the valleys of Wales and you know I loved meeting farmers and and seeing how things grew and bringing it all together and and I was in charge of the timetable too so I could say okay we're going to this country for the winter and we you know Singapore for uh Christmas shopping and uh, we're going to have summer in this place. So, th- so that was nice. That was really sweet. Um, unfortunately, when it was time to start having families, traveling that much and having families doesn't always go together very well. So so I left Man then. And a bank actually, BNP Paribas, uh, a headhunter for them, spotted my skills and thought I'd be a great fit for, for banking for BNP Paribas. I'd never actually thought of myself as a banker before then. I, it just wasn't something I would have ever looked at. So the fact they came to me was actually very helpful. I spent seven years with BNP Paribas, and um, that was a, that was an interesting role. I was working with the soft commodity clients there mostly, but as the risk profile changed, that um, that base of clients switched more towards energy for me and. That wasn't my cup of tea so much. I mean, I liked working with the, you know, with the soft commodities, but you, you know the stereotype of the Texas oil man, and they certainly weren't all like that, but an awful lot of them were, and it it wasn't good for the soul to work with them and make them richer, put it that way. So, uh, and plus, you know, I have daughters, so how you show up to your, your kids is very important. And you know, I was saying one thing to them about, you know, being true to themselves. And then here I was doing a job I wasn't actually that happy with. So uh, yeah. it's time to move on. But I mean, BNP, um, BNP Paribas were a great bank to work with, actually. They uh, gave me a lot of opportunities. And within that as well, I was I was able to sort of to sort of feed that not-for-profit itch I had in, in that there was a microfinance business networking group. There were 250 employees within that. And I headed that up and we could bring in microfinance clients to give us demonstrations. And eventually we would give microfinance loans as well to different organizations within um, the in, within New York. And eventually then that grew to to a much bigger, bigger part within the bank. But it was very exciting to be part of that. And, and I can tell you as well, within banking, there are a lot of frustrated bakers and florists and chocolate makers, you know, a lot of people who would love to be doing other things. But, you know, New York City is an expensive place to live and having to pay the bills is, is a tricky kind of juggling act. I wasn't sure when I first left the bank what I would end up doing. Um, 
I was lulled a little bit into a false sense of security because other banks approached me pretty much straight away with offers to do the same kind of job or a similar kind of job. And that made me think it would be quite easy to get another job. And um, it wasn't. I mean, you know, it's certainly the older you get, the harder it is to to, to, to pivot. I mean, to use that sort of management speak out there. And um, I think what, looking back, what I wish I'd done was just being a bit honest with myself and said, I need a break from work. You know, one thing I was able to do was be the, the chaperone on the school trips and to make my daughter's supper in the evenings. And I really, really enjoyed that. I loved doing it. It was the first time I'd really been given that gap of time to do it. And I wish I'd said to myself, OK, just enjoy that. And, you know, you can do something after it. Whereas I just had this kind of I need to work, I need to work, I need to work straight away. The idea to work in a not-for-profit didn't come straight away. One th- nice thing with with, Para, with BNP Paribas was they did play for the, these placement services. So there's this, you know, these places you can go where you you have training and where you, you do all these sort of psychology tests where you learn about what kind of person you are. And I loved that. It was fantastic. It was nice to be given the space to do that. And um, just kind of figure out what was important to me and given that space to do that was was actually pretty valuable. And um, at some point I realized actually I did enjoy finance. I did want to stay there, except maybe just change to a different side of finance. And um, I sat some non-for-profit accountancy exams with the AICPA and got those qualifications down on paper and started making contacts within that world. So um, it wasn't sort of a very neat transition, but it, it happened uh, within the space of about a year. And, and also within that year as well, I was heading up at the time a not-for-profit. It's the foundation for my old school, which I very, very much believe in. It, it was transformative for me, and I really wanted to give the opportunity to other students to attend it. Um, it's the United World College in, in Wales, actually. And uh, I, you know, I was able to spend a lot more time focusing on that, too. You've mentioned before to me that you love your work and that you'd work for free. But what are the factors that people have to consider before making a decision on moving into such a role? Um, I mean, I would do it for free if I could, but I can't. It's uh, my husband and I, like so many other people, have the dual kind of uh, pulls of both elder care and child care. And New York City is expensive. I mean, it really just is. I was, you know, saying earlier, it's like a, a week of summer camp is $500 per kid. It's it's just so, so money is important and not for profit does tend to pay a lot less. So that's that's the biggest thing. It's, um, you know, the benefits tend to be very good, which isn't nice, which is very nice. But still, you know, money's important. So it's you do have to make those kind of balancing decisions about about if you really are able to do it. And did you speak to anyone before deciding on the move? I did. And I'm a strong introvert, so it took a while to realize just how important that was. I mean, I'd sort of thought that my experience would speak for itself by sending off applications. And I mean, this probably isn't news to anybody, but that's so naive. It really is contacts, contacts, contacts. And um, every job I've got in the not-for-profit world has been through having a coffee with somebody or somebody making a recommendation. It's all about you know, for, for me, at least, it was it was really just uh, 
meeting as many people as I could, telling as many people as I could that I was looking and um, getting that out there. I mean, I spent so many times in front of my computer sending off these applications and you, you still need to do that. That research was important, but a better use of time would have been just to get out there and, uh, and network. And there are ways to do that. There's, for example, the Financial Executives Networking Group. Um, they have a not-for-profit subsection. It's obviously... You know, this organization, is, which makes great use of the networking within that. So the more people can just t tell others what they're looking for, the more it's going to get to the person who can actually provide that opportunity for them. And what's interesting now as well is, is within financial institutions themselves and within other private sectors, is that there are more and more sort of socially conscious roles available. So, you know, the stakeholders there are realizing that there's a demand for it. So there are ESG products, there are all these programs for employees that never used to exist even sort of 10 years ago. So you can do a lot of good within the private sector now if you just are able to find and get into those roles. So there's another element that can be looked at as well. Sometimes it's just a matter of tapping into you know, the buzzwords at the time and either going, you know, paying for yourself to do a course to meet those needs or doing the internal training, but really finding yourself how you can address that niche by having, you know, ESG after your name or wherever it is, you know, those that you have those expertise in those kind of things. So it might not necessarily have to be completely leaving the profession to join a not-for-profit. You can do good sort of where you are. And how do you find the right organization for you? Can you speak to the different experience in working with larger and smaller not-for-profit organizations they can both be fantastic but i think it's just the uh, it really speaks to how important it is to find a place where you really do care about the mission um i often think that the most exciting place to be whether it's private or not-for-profit wherever it is, is is to be with a startup to be there right at the very very start because not only are you shaping something but you're also got that very special energy that comes with a startup and you know that that, that really is hard to replicate with the smaller organization that i worked for i mean it was it was a lot of great people it did really fantastic work but but almost the the people who started it up kind of didn't want to let go of it and it kind of crystallized a little bit and um it was frustrating to bring about any change. It was very hierarchical and and it was it was tough to sort of change anything within it. Whereas MSF, I mean it's it's much, much bigger, but also it's kind of inherent to its role is this this constant introspection, this constant looking at itself and saying, what can we do better? How can we improve our process processes and and put in the mission first as well. So nobody is really looking to say you know, our jobs need to be secure. It's it's the mission really is first, which can be a bit frightening because people realize that their jobs could be cut as well. So, you know, there's always that kind of awareness going on. But it was um, it was wonderful to come to MSF from my other organization where it was almost very, you told what you need to know and, and not a thing more. Whereas the board meetings are open. Everybody can attend them. I mean, not every single board thing, obviously, but the board meets and their open meetings and these difficult questions are asked. Just like so many other organizations at the moment, MSF is really looking deeply at the problems of racism within its organization, how we can both be addressed. And the forums 
to look at that are very, very open. It's it's open for discussion, high level, low level. Everybody seems to get a voice and voices are being heard. So that is really, really refreshing. So I think just going into a smaller organization, you need to be very, very aware that you need to be aware of the sort of dynamics within it and the hierarchies and just how much ability to change you might have. So, and also as well, I mean, the smaller not-for-profits, how many, how much do they have in terms of reserves? It's, it's, it's difficult to work for somewhere when it's this constant boom to bust, boom to bust, and there's no stability. So it's certainly easier to work with an organization that does have a fair amount in reserves and you can make some plans for the future and, you know, sort of worst case scenarios and that type of thing. You had mentioned before that there are now more opportunities for accountants to make a difference, not necessarily in non for profit organizations. Can you elaborate more by what you mean on this and explain to the audience your thinking on this? And what's interesting now as well is is within financial institutions themselves and within other private sectors, is that there are more and more sort of socially conscious roles available. So you know the stakeholders there are realizing that there's a demand for it. So there are ESG products, there are all these programs for employees that never used to exist even sort of 10 years ago. So you can do a lot of good within the private sector now if you just are able to find and get into those roles. So there's another element that can be looked at as well. Sometimes it's just a matter of tapping into, you know, the buzzwords of the time and either going, you know, paying for yourself to do a course to meet those needs or doing the internal training, but really finding yourself how you can address that niche by having, you know, ESG after your name or wherever it is, you know, those that you have those expertise and those kind of things. So it might not necessarily have to be completely leaving the profession to join an opera profit. You can do good sort of where you are. It must be great satisfaction in doing the work that you're doing. Are there any projects that you are particularly proud of? Where do you believe that MSF have made a big difference? Um, it's, it's almost like what they... If things are not making headlines around the world, it might be because they're being kept at bay. So, I mean, MSF has been working relentlessly in Ebola, for example. And the fact that we're not hearing so much about it in the West is because of MSF and other organizations like them who are keeping it at bay and trying to eradicate it. So, so certainly the fact we don't hear about that is 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 pretty wonderful um, it's not eradicated completely they thought it was done a little while back but it's it's still there but hopefully keeping it at bay and um, but also speaking out for those who don't have a voice so really they're doing a lot of lobbying right now and uh, to, to, to try and get the covid vaccines to the people who need them around the world the, you know the idea that we're talking about having third round of vaccines within the us when some people around the world have had access to getting anything yet so they're really lobbying governments, they're lobbying, um, you know, the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies to to recognize that if we the quicker we eradicate this, the sort of quicker the quicker we can all get on is is uh, is great. So it's not just the actual giving of medical aid, it's the speaking out for those who don't have a voice. Thank you very much, Claire, for sharing your tips and insights. And the work that you do sounds very interesting and rewarding. And a big credit to you for supporting the organization in chartering the course to keep things running and fund these projects. Now, 
We always ask our guests a fun question at the end of the show. So what career would you have had if you weren't a chartered accountant? Oh, I've got, I think I've got two answers, but they're both to do with teaching. Um, I mean, for a long time, my life was to do with Russia. And I think I would be a professor of Russian literature. And uh, I'd have written a dissertation on Dostoevsky and I'd be teaching Dostoevsky and all these, you know, thank, all these ideas about dystopia and freedom versus happiness to my students. I think I'd love that. So and that, that feels a bit like a past not traveled as well. And the second one was um, probably one of the happiest times of my life was my gap year was in Scotland at a Campbell community for special need kids. And I loved that. I was really, really happy there. And uh, to have stayed actually felt like like an easy, an easy option in some ways, even though it was a very, very difficult environment to be in in many ways. But um, I loved that. So some form of teaching. Well, thank you very much, Claire. Um, a lot of insights here. And really the key takeaways are to speak to people before you make a move. Determine what size of nonprofit organization that you should work for and evaluate you know, other roles within the organization where you can make a difference to social projects and for social good. So thank you all for listening and talk to you soon.